you, Brother Gary. And I, I, I want to remind the, uh, the youth, the teens, that uh, you're invited to a youth gathering this Saturday at Spruce Head Community Church. And uh, I believe Pastor uh, Chris Emery will be uh, speaking to you all. So put that on your, uh, in your calendars here. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, it's, uh, it's those end of the letters that the Lord is obviously included in our Scripture as inspired by God and therefore necessary for the changing of us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Uh, and verses 5 through 24 that Gary read here is uh, just a scattering of, of, of thoughts here, but it's not as disconnected as you might think it is as we look into it. And I would um, like us to uh, consider what is the point of 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 24. And let me just illustrate it like this. Um, Last November, there's a story that made the news about a 67-year-old woman who was scheduled for routine cataract surgery. She thought it was her dry eye and her aging here that was causing her discomfort. And her ophthalmologist said the woman hadn't complained about any visual trouble before this operation. And the anesthesiast started numbing her eye for surgery and he noticed something. There was a blue mass, a blue mass under her top eyelid as they opened up her eye. And what they came to find out is this woman had been wearing disposable contacts, monthly contacts, for 35 years. And sometimes she would try to remove a contact from that eye and she couldn't find it. She figured she just dropped it somewhere. And she had a mass of 27 contact lenses on her eye. She just figured she dropped it, but it was getting stuck on top of the others until there was a layer of 27. And her vision was blurred. (laughs) Was her complaint. Um, It was a very quick surgery. She was much better after that. This passage here in 1 Corinthians 16 gives us a clarity in the work of the ministry. It takes off the blur, the blinders, and it lays out, I think, several clear principles about feet on the ground. It's no accident that it's part of this letter. There have been 11 different issues that this letter has addressed. 11 different issues. And some of these issues are longer than some of the other letters that he's written. So, this is, 1 Corinthians is a very unusual letter compared to the other of Paul's letters. Um, you've, we've walked through these things. And we're coming to the end here. And I feel like the things in 1 Corinthians 16, many of them, some of these little terse phrases here, I, I could do a whole other series on each of these um, verses as to what they mean. There's so much packed into it. And I do have some in the back burner here for, for other opportunities here. But when we come to 1 Corinthians 16, we are receiving, or the Corinthians here are receiving, and us as secondary uh, application here, uh, are receiving marching orders. Marching orders from the general. 
Now, Paul wasn't the king, but Paul was one of God's generals. There's no doubt about that. And in these passages, in this passage here, with Paul's um, instructions to the uh, to the early church, uh, he, we've already looked at verses one through four last time and seen the instructions about the giving. And we spent some time in that last week. Saw so seven different uh, uh, principles from for giving in verses one through four. And now in verses 5 through 24, he's giving marching orders and he's also showing us his heart for ministry and what it means. And as you read these verses, you're probably trying to connect the dots. And well, is Paul, you know, he's going over here, now he's going over here, he's saying this, he's saying this. And it might be hard to put into words. And and, uh, it was hard for me uh, as I was reading the verses. Okay, what's. What do I preach here? What's this, what's this sermon about? How do I divide it up? I finally decided I couldn't divide it up um, because although there are, there are little parts uh, and different shades of this, it was all the same shadow that was being cast here. And this is what it is. This is verse 58 in practice. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul has raised us up to glorious heights in 1 Corinthians 15 with the resurrection. And we looked last week in verses 1 through 4. Now he's putting feet on the ground here as far as our, 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 our action here and our living out what we, what we believe in and laboring for the great cause that Christ's resurrection has made us a part of. It was death, burial, and resurrection. And now in verses 5 through 24, he is, he has talked about the gospel in chapter 1, the cross of Christ, the power of the gospel. He has, in 1 Corinthians 15, talked about the resurrection. So the, the two bookends to the book, chapter 1 and 2, the cross of Christ, Christ crucified. Chapter 15, the resurrection of Jesus. And now he is bringing it all together with the responsibility that Jesus' church has in seeing this multiplied and spread throughout. And so he's giving marching orders with the echo in the background of verse 58 being always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. And I want those two words to begin echoing in your mind. Always abounding. Not always just being satisfied. Not always being comfortable. Always abounding. There's the idea of progress in these verses. When you read verses 5-24, through you see very quickly that Paul cannot sit still with this message. And these marching orders and the description of Christian ministry and the work of the ministry and fulfilling the Great Commission of making disciples as congregations are multiplied throughout the Mediterranean world shows us, first of all, that Paul was a visionary Christian, wasn't he? He was a visionary. There's no doubt about that. He was, he was, he was not a passive Christian. He was always dreaming. Look at the words of motion here, even used in these in these, in these verses. Verse 5, I will come. I shall pass. Uh, I will stay in verse 6. I will winter with you. Uh, uh, bring me on my journey. I will uh, not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while uh, with you if the Lord permit. Uh, there's a great door open to me. Uh, here's what you need to do with Timothy. Here's what I said to Apollos. 
And then he gets back to the message of the letter. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be courageous. Let everything be done in love. And he says, um, uh, pay attention to, to Stephanus and, and his family. They have devoted themselves to the work of ministry. And, and he gives greetings to them. He's a man who can't sit still. He's a visionary Christian, not a passive Christian. He has, he has uh, visions of, uh, of, of what God can do through a surrendered life. And certainly we could say with Paul, well, Paul, you were an apostle, right? He was an envoy of Jesus in this respect. This, this was a special calling of Paul. He was also a single man, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 7. And so we, we know that he's, he is free to, to labor more specifically in some of these aspects of the ministry. But what we can get from Paul here is that the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what compels him, it's what motivates him, it's what he always wants to see uh, 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 things happen because of this. He sees problems he needs to solve. He sees opportunities that he needs to push through. He sees, he sees these things with his spiritual eyes. He's not passive, is he? He is an example of what he just said in verse 58. Always abounding. And I guess the questions that come from that is this. What do you dream about? What ministries preoccupy your mind? When you look into your community, what are the problems of life or the brokenness you see that the Bible addresses that you thought about how to serve in? What are the burdens that you have for the work of God's church that are from His Word? What are the needs you've observed and you thought about how to fix and be used in. Paul was a planning Christian, wasn't he? There was a strategy. There was a plan. He was a visionary. Is giving your life to building up Jesus' church and the advance of Jesus on your radar? And if not, why not? And if so, why? Is it worth it? Is building strong, robust, passionate, faithful churches worth investing time and energy and vision and resources in here and around the globe? What are the needs around you that the Lord has, has, has directed your eyes and, and, and you know you can be a part of being God's answer to that by His grace? What plans are you going to put in place? And what I see here in Paul is, as a visionary, and with this idea of always abounding, it means pushing ahead, not being satisfied with the status quo. Paul's a man on fire, isn't he? Paul is, is, is consumed by Christ, and, and he wants the propagation of the Gospel and the lives that result out of that to be firmly established and, and, to, and to continue multiplication. Paul was a visionary Christian. He wasn't passive. I also see in these verses here, at the same time, there's another tension. Because we can be visionary and we can have great ideas and pipe dreams, right? At the same time, Paul was a right now Christian. He wasn't a someday Christian. Yes, he had plans for some day. But he was a right now Christian. 
He had proved that with his ministry to the Corinthians. He had poured into them. He had addressed the things they needed to be discipled in. He talks in these verses about what he's doing right now. And he also talks, as I said, the things he's planning to do. But he's busy right now. Because he's not under the delusion that maybe one day this will just happen, right? Yes, he's visionary. But he also is, what can I do right now? What can I do right now? And the question begs of, of, of each of us here. Are we someday Christians? Yeah, that would be good. That would be nice. But what about now? What are you doing right now? And You think about it this way and frame your life in light of eternity. If your life ended in three years, you had three years, Jesus had three years of ministry, what would you wish you had done for Christ? What are the things that you would say, boy, if I had three years to live, this is what I would invest in. What are the ministries that you dreamed about that are only really going to stay dreams until you put these things into practice and next action steps? Some of us can be wishful about ministry, can't we? But good intentions, if they just stay good intentions, are not any different from bad intentions, are they? We can't be only wishful. We must be putting feet to plans. Uh, Do your burdens and visions of ministry end with a someday, or do they start with the next steps? Paul says in verse 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema or cursed. And then he says, Maranatha, meaning the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Why would Paul say that? Because of what 1558 says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. And friends... Jesus' people believe that Jesus is coming back, but we're not only looking for Jesus to come back and make life easy. Although you read the Psalms and you you know there's echoes of Lord and the end of Revelation, right? Lord, make things right on this earth, isn't there? But Jesus also calls us to a purpose out of His coming, and His purpose is to labor for Him to hear Him say what? Well, done. Done. Done well. Well done. And he gives the parable here of one of his of the of the king and his and his servant who was told to occupy till he comes, to do his business till he comes. So Jesus has left us on this earth to yearn and long for Jesus coming, and at the same time to labor and always abound in the meantime. That's watching for his coming. Remember the, uh, the, the, the virgins who did not watch? What did they do with their oil? Really nothing. Right? And the ones who were watching were busy, weren't they? They were making sure they had oil. They were making sure the lamps were lit. Right? They were not being passive. And this passage calls us to move from the passivity of a dream to putting 
action steps into our burdens, the truths of the work of our ministry. Friends, do we really believe that His rewards, He says He will one day give, are worth it? That question, Charlie and I were talking about this on Wednesday, talking about eternal rewards. We meet Wednesdays at 10 and pray together and working through First Timothy and fellowshipping and talking about rewards. I think we lost that concept of rewards. That our labor is not in vain. We believe the lie of the world that says it doesn't matter. Friends, there is great reward on the other side. There is a, there is a, that it is not in vain, that it is not empty, it is not worthless to work for the Lord. And one day your labors that have been motivated by love for Him will somehow, in reward, will somehow allow you to somehow increase your joy in the new creation. You see, always abounding doesn't end with someday. Paul is certainly a visionary, but he's not only a visionary, he's balanced here. He is actively working right now. What are the opportunities God has given you in this season of life that you're in? Whether that's, a, whether that's in your hospital bed, or whether you are able to get out and about, God has given you specific opportunities and responsibilities and stewardship in whatever situation you're in. Obviously, they're going to look different. Different stages of life, different seasons of life, different settings, uh, the different stewardship of people and resources He's given you and put around you here. But always abounding doesn't end with a someday. Someday. So balance your someday's here with the right now as well. I also see here in Paul's ministry... That he is a thorough Christian. He is a thorough Christian. And by this I mean, Paul here does not just flit around and spark fires here, spark fires here, spin plates and and, and move on here. Paul is interested from start to finish. From justification to glorification. Paul here is interested with, 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 the, with the skeptics becoming curious about the Gospel. And those curious then moving to become believers and obedient disciples of Jesus and then to see them multiply. Paul's interested in that. He's very thorough. In fact, uh, he's still checking in with the people here, isn't he? Paul is talking about the other churches that he's been involved in. He speaks of uh, other other leaders that he is raising up and he is influencing. He talks about Timothy. He talks about Apollos coming back and touching base with the Corinthians and strengthening them. Uh, he says in verse 13, You watch, stand fast in the faith, act like men, be strong, let everything be done with charity. He wants to see this fulfilled here. He talks about the house of Stephanus. Here and how they were the, some of the first people he led to the Lord and the K. And he says in verse 15 that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. He wants to make sure when Timothy comes, he's not intimidated. He's doing the words, Lord's work, and people aren't to treat him with contempt, and they're to bless him. He wants the Corinthians to receive blessing by being a blessing to Timothy here. Paul is thorough. He finishes the job. He wants to dig deep. In the work of the ministry here, Paul is not leaving things undone. He's not leaving spiritual gates unlatched. 
He's not leaving cupboards open. He's not leaving floors not swept. or, or, or uh, uh, the, He's not leaving the car on E. He hasn't just run around and started a bunch of things and left them, and that's where they're going to stay. And so I see here, we must be thorough. What are the things you've told God that you're going to do that needs your attention? Some of us have told God things, haven't we? Lord, I'm going to live for you in this way. I'm going to serve you in this way. What are the things that need to be tidied up in those areas? Lord, my finances. Lord, my marriage. Time I'm spending with my kids. My hobbies. All these things need to be under the surrender of the Lord Jesus Christ. Used for His purposes. Paul was a thorough Christian. There's not a negligence there with Paul, is there? But also, notice in chapter 16, do you see all these names of people? I mean, you can't even print out some of them, right? All kinds of names of people. He knows them. He's had contact with them. Somehow he's connected with them. He has had influence in their lives by the work of the ministry. And as an apostle, he certainly probably would have had a lot more contact with people than probably we may have. But you know what I see about this? Is that's who Paul's taking to heaven with him. Paul's not taking his Apple Watch to heaven with him. He's not taking his SUV. He's not taking his kitchen remodel. He's not taking his guns. He's not... Well, if he was a lady, he wasn't taking his favorite makeup brand. Uh, Paul here is taking people with him. John Romano at um, Camp Good News and the director of Child Evangelical Fellowship in Maine is famous for always saying at camp, Ethan, what? Camp? Camp is for the camper. Camp is for the camper. It's not ultimately about a program. It's not ultimately about a, a curriculum. I remember when I first started teaching elementary school, I was, um, I was trying to get through the curriculum. I was teaching curriculum. I was not teaching people. I was not teaching children. I was not teaching students. And I forgot that the point of the curriculum was not so that I could say I finished the curriculum and they heard everything, but it was, can he multiply? Can he add? When he goes to the store and buys his hubba bubba bubble gum and he gives him a dollar, does he know how much change he's going to get back? Paul here is a people Christian, isn't he? It's a people Christian. Souls. Lives. That's what you're going to take to eternity with you. And that's it. Now your labors will follow you with reward. We talked about that. Well, some of the greatest reward is taking the people you most love with you. Isn't it? Paul labors in that. Look at these names. These are real people. Flesh and blood, blood people. They got sick. They ate. They slept. And he says in verse 10, Timothy. Verse 12, Apollos. Stephanus and his house. Fortunatus. By the way, his name means lucky. <laughs> Achaicus. The churches of Asia. So 
just as a group in verse 19, Aquila and Priscilla, his lifelong friends. Their names. Their names here. They're real people. I wonder if in our ministries we can miss the people. I think of Jesus here with the crowds, right? The five feeding of the 5,000, which probably just numbered the men. Large crowds. And then the 70, and then the 12, and then the 3. Paul was a people Christian. He recognized people are the greatest investments. But if you're hearing the sermon saying, well, this just sounds like you're saying, well, we need to try harder, do better, work more fervently, and that's part of it, isn't it? But I want you to see that Paul was a rooted Christian. He was a rooted Christian. Certainly those admonitions in verse 13, watch you, stand fast in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all things be done with love. All these commands and the things that Paul was involved with, his, his trips he was planning, the things he was doing right now, uh, the instructions he was giving about certain people, the great door that was open to him, the, ad, the adversaries that he was experiencing, the fight, the war. How could Paul be faithful in these things? And the answer is, what Paul would say is, there is nothing in my flesh that enables me to fulfill what God has asked me to do. And he says that in Philippians 3, doesn't he? It is not my own righteousness. Paul can only say what he tells the Corinthians here needs to be with them in verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul is a man who had tasted grace, been immersed in grace, and he wasn't going back. He wasn't going back to the flesh. He wasn't going back to life without Christ. Paul was a rooted Christian. You'll find over and over and over again in 1 Corinthians, how does he deal with the problems? With the problem of division, what does he say? It's the cross of Christ that is our rallying cry of the Gospel. In chapter 4, when he speaks about the issues of, 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 of leaders and, and their role in ministry, he says, we're nothing, Christ is everything, and we're just servants of Jesus Christ who have been made a spectacle of foolishness to the world. In chapter 5, when he speaks about the sin that is being tolerated in the church, and the man that he said needed to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and how the church tolerated that, how does he bring that together? He says, remember, Christ is the lump. Christ is the Passover lamb, and you're allowing the leaven into the lump that should not be there. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. When he speaks to them in 1 Corinthians 6 about the, the, the lawsuits that they were doing, the suing one another as brothers and sisters over civil matters, what does he say? He says, you, you have been given resources, uh, eternal resources that have established your eternal salvation, and you can't figure out how to deal with civil disputes? Solve them with what you have in Christ. The riches of Christ. In chapter 6, verses 13-20, through 20, he talks about the, 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 the immorality and the, and the prevalent idea of that day that your body doesn't matter and what you do with it doesn't matter. And he says, don't you know that you have been purchased by the blood 
of Christ. You are bought with a price. Therefore, out of that, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. In chapter 7, the issues with relationships and marriage and singleness, he again puts Christ at the center of it all. In chapter 8 through 10, in the issues of, of, uh, of dealing with the, with the young lambs from the pagans who have come to Christ, and they are very sensitive to some of the things that other Christians would be doing in the marketplace and others, he talks again about the Lord Jesus Christ as the answer for that. Chapter 11, the wrong things that were going on in the Lord's Supper with the hard hearts, cold hearts, selfish, stingy hearts of those who had resources versus those who didn't. And the sharing that was not happening. He talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole point of the Lord's Supper is to celebrate what He has given us in His death and burial and His resurrection. In chapter 12, he talks about how in Christ we have been baptized in the Spirit and have been made one in Christ with many diverse members. Therefore, we can serve one another and we can use each other's gifts. In chapter 13, when he talks about love here, he says that there will come a day when we will, we will know even as we are known. And the perfect will come. In chapter 14, with their issues that are going on in the church, with the gifts and the misappropriation of them, he talks about the Lord being the author of peace. The author of peace. Always gets back to God and who He is and what He's done for us. Now, Paul will say this in verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Why is Paul all in on this mission? Why is Paul all in on the the task of making disciples? Why is Paul all in on the task of seeing uh, uh, evangelism and edification of the saints happening? Why is he all in? Because he knows the reality of life without Christ, that these are serious eternal consequences. He also knows what it means to be a Christian. It means to love Jesus. Listen how he frames this. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be a curse. Let him be separated from God, under the curse of God. The implication is, those in Christ love Jesus Christ. That's the dividing line, isn't it? When it all gets down to it, Christians have been loved by God through Jesus, and Christians love God. Then he says, Maranatha. It's a word that would have been used in Jesus' day in the language Jesus spoke, and it means... Come, Lord Jesus, probably echoing the thoughts of Revelation chapter 22, where Jesus says, Surely I will come quickly. And the Apostle John says, Even so, come. Maranatha. Paul was a rooted Christian. He saw the beginning and he saw the end. He saw 
he, he, he saw what Jesus had done for him in the Gospel, and he saw where it was all going. And so Paul could say something like this in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, say it with me, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding. It's the mind of Jesus, our Savior in us. Not because we're awesome. Because He is. Not because we're great. Because He is. Not because we can muster up enough effort and enough strength to make God like me. No. Because God in His grace has poured out His love in Jesus upon you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we've walked through Paul's heart for these people. In spite of their unappreciativeness, their angst, their anger, the toxic situations that were going on in the church, Paul knows what God can do. He labors in prayer for them. He labors in uh, the ministry of the Word to them in letter and sending his key men to go strengthen them, establish them, their key, key leaders. Lord, I pray that you would help us to always abound in the work of the Lord. This great task of honoring You, of glorifying You, bringing honor to Your name by testifying of the life-changing Gospel of Jesus Christ, being able to let people know who we once were and what You've done and who we are in Christ. and That visionary aspect of forging ahead, pioneering new territory, looking for opportunities of ministry, balanced with action steps right now to accomplish those goals balanced with a dependence of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of His Holy Spirit. Help us to be pushing ahead, not passive. Help our dreams not to end with someday, but to be surrendered to You and help our visions for what You'll do in work and ministry, the work of the Lord knowing that it's not in vain to begin with specific action steps we could start right now. Help us to be thorough, not negligent, not leaving things that we know You have called us to do unfinished. Lord, help us to see it's all about people on this level. And that's what we will be able to take as trophies of Your grace eternity with us. May You work through us. The Lord, help us to do this as a rooted Christian. Not a branch broken off from the tree doing it in our own power, but rooted to the vine. Abiding in You. Letting the sap and juices of the Spirit flow through us as we soak in Your Word and as we respond to it. 
And Lord, may we be here in 1 Corinthians 16, people who are on watch, who are standing fast, who are courageous in doing everything with love. In Jesus' name we pray.